It's often said that Mark's gospel has Jesus as an action man going from place to place to place very, very quickly. Mark's use of immediately and then, immediately and then. But Luke chapter 5 is a pretty action man kind of chapter. The whole of this chapter is about Jesus in action. He stands in boats to speak to the crowds. He gets out of the boat and heals one man with leprosy. Then declares another lowered through a roof by friends as forgiven from his sins. Then goes into disputes with the Jewish religious leaders. Gets increasingly heated. And it doesn't help when he calls Levi, a prominent tax collector, and therefore inevitably a sinner, to follow him. Which Levi does with great joy. That's all happened as you get to verse 29. And at verse 29, we pick up the story where Jesus and his disciples are rejoicing with Levi in a feast at his house. Keeping mixed company. It's a strange phrase, capable of quite different meanings. For some of us, it means something very positive, indicating richness, variety, inclusion, uh, like uh, those of us who were privileged to worship with Christians and Methodist Christians uh, in Europe or around the world. For others, keeping mixed company, and certainly the way my grandma used to mean it, is to be avoided at all costs. It means, basically, that you're associating with the wrong sort, unsavoury and unacceptable people. For someone so holy, Jesus certainly seemed to spend a lot of time with the kind of folk that my grandma would not have approved of. Heal a leper, befriend a sinner, forgive sins, argue with priests. It's not exactly the preferred CV, is it, of the Son of God. Holiness is often associated with separation from sin. It's about keeping yourself apart. It's not being tainted with the things of the world. It's not associating with things and people who are associated with nitty or gritty or down or base things. But Jesus demonstrates a different kind of holiness by surrounding himself with people and situations where others would expect a holy or godly person to be quite absent. Those cast out, those rejected, those not included, those deemed unclean or unworthy, those unaccepted because of colour or creed or age or gender or health or status, more often than not in the stories of the Gospels, it's with such people, one group or another, that that's where you often find Jesus. Several years ago, Helen, my dear wife, became a street pastor. I confess I tried to talk her out of it, but she was resolved. I've never been very successful at talking her out of anything much she's resolved to do. With others whose sanity is uh, also doubted by their spouses, no doubt. She spent uh, several months training and then several years 
10pm at night until 4 o'clock in the morning, every fourth Saturday, wandering around our local town, engaging with what she called the night community. Reviled and ridiculed by a few, and happily engaged by many, she mocked up sick, dried up tears, sorted out the occasional argument, and arranged a number of trips to accident and emergency. And more seriously, quite seriously, believes that she stopped a rape. Some of her friends, some of our friends, were absolutely astonished when she declared to everybody this is what she was going to do. What on earth do you want to do that for, they said. And it was an opportunity for us to bear Christian witness with some of our non-Christian friends, which we, we do, but we do very selectively. Because, she said, as a Christian, that's where I feel I ought to be, among people like that, she said. Well, don't you feel scared? I know I would, they said. Well, there's always a group of us. We never go around on our own. And I feel the presence of God sometimes more on the street than I do in church. Well, rather you than me, they said. I don't know why you want to bother anyway. They're just a, a group of drunken layabouts. They deserve all they get. Maybe so, she said. But God loves them, and I and my friends want to be with them. We'll do what we can. This is not a new Christian response. I was in the York and Hull district, uh, York and Hull, I was in the Notts and Derby district yesterday, uh, and uh, talking about various things and reminded myself of a, a great and famous saying found in many textbooks by the pagan emperor Julian. Now, Julian, the apostate, was one of the uh, Roman emperors uh, in about the middle of the 5th century, quite near the end of the classic Roman Empire. And uh, Constantine was around about 30, 40 years earlier, and Emperor Constantine was, as you know, the person who first started to introduce the idea to Roman society that Christianity should be uh, a licensed religion, which it was in his lifetime, and finally an accepted legal religion, which it never was in his lifetime. But a little bit like, uh, a little bit like the English succession of Protestantism and then Mary, Queen of Scots, etc., it wasn't that you woke up on Tuesday and Constantine declared this and from then on everything was hunky-dory. This thing went backwards and forwards for about 40 years, Romans need to be able to become Christians. No, they don't. We're a pagan society. And different emperors went in different directions. Julian the Apostate, as his name suggests, was absolutely adamant that this silly notion of Christianity becoming a dominant force in Roman Empire needed to be got rid of and he needed to reinstate the pantheon of pagan gods that had been part of their system by that time for nearly 500 years. And so he wrote a letter, which we have, to the chief person, the kind of prime minister of pagan worship and organisation. It's about seven pages long, and I don't propose to read much of it at all, but it's this, this that he writes to the leading pagan priest. 
And he's talking about Christians, and you can almost sense him spitting the words out. It is their benevolence to strangers, their care for the graves of the dead, and the pretend holiness of their lives that have done most to increase their atheism among us. These impious Galileans support not only their own poor, but ours as well. And the context was that one of the great plagues that happened every 30 or 40 years and wiped out huge populations at that time had happened in parts of the Roman Empire and Christians had done what pagans did not do and that was when somebody showed any signs of getting whatever it was they used to throw them quite literally out of the house into the streets to die or if they were a little bit more beneficent than that wrapped them up, took them to the edge of the city and left them on the rubbish heap and apparently the Christians then not only took living people into their homes and the death rate among Christians was quite incredible but they also used to go to the waste tips around the side of the major cities where these bodies had been dumped and then prepared graves for them and said prayers over them. Hence, Julian the Apostate's complete and utter incandescence that the pagan societies are not producing that kind of commitment. Coming further forward, I always remember a trip to Thailand some years ago. I went to a three-week conference in Thailand. Can you believe it? And during those three weeks when we were busy writing some papers, I visited with a group of others a Christian charity on the streets of Pattaya in Thailand. It's the sex capital of Thailand and possibly the sex capital of Asia. And the project which was the fruit of a, a small-ish local, uh, local church, uh, Presbyterian, reformed, I think, if I remember rightly. The project was that they'd set up on one of the streets of Pattaya a beauty parlour, but its clients paid no money, and they were all female prostitutes. The prostitutes arrived at various times of day and night. It was open about 18 hours a day, and they were given a simple meal, a drink, and invited to take a shower or bath. But my sharpest memory of the day we visited this project is of some women having their feet washed and all their nails painted by the female Christian workers in the salon, some themselves ex-prostitutes. And as they did this, they spoke to the women, and I asked the person who's showing us round, what they were saying. And she turned to us and she said, they are reassuring these women how important to God they are, how loved they are, and how they must always feel they can return here as a place of love and help. Now, some Christians will say that we should have nothing to do with prostitutes and certainly not pamper them. And I can understand that. And some will say that the only proper Christian ministry to, is to rescue people from prostitution and abuse and stand resolutely against trafficking of all kinds. The aim of which I couldn't agree more. I put that to a couple of the women in the salon. 
they weren't surprised at all by my questions. Apparently, they got criticised daily, including from the official church leaders and the leaders of the secular authorities. The very same secular authorities, incidentally, who do absolutely nothing to stem the promotion and supply of the sex industry in Pattaya. One woman looked at me and she said, we'd love it that all prostitution and exploitation ended, but it isn't going to happen soon. And until it does, we will love and care for these women. They had to choose that hard choice between immediate and long-term good, which sometimes by its very nature takes you into positions that just in a black and white sense you'd never go into. All I can say is that during that short visit to that charity salon, watching women wash, dry and manicure the feet of sex workers and talking quietly to them, I experienced the unmistakable presence of Jesus. Luke's gospel is clear that for those of us who want to follow Jesus, we need to get used to keeping mixed company, to sit with sinners, to eat with revelers, to pray with the outcast and declare God's favour on the out of favour, and all without making them feel that we're doing them a favour. When we do so, we'll find to our surprise that far from being distant from God, we are never more assured of God's nearness and support and delight. A Celtic rule of hospitality, going back many centuries, goes like this and picks up echoes of our Hebrews reading. We saw a stranger yesterday... We put food in the eating place, drink in the drinking place, music in the listening place, and with the sacred name of the triune God, he blessed us and our house, our cattle and our dear ones. As the lark says in her song, often, often, often goes the Christ in the stranger's guise. Amen.